Hi everyone, uh, welcome to this episode of the In The Oven Show. Uh, today we are at the Uncommon Cider uh, Company, uh, talking to Brett Hopper. Uh, hi Brett, how are you doing? Thanks very much for having me. So it's nice to uh, talk to someone that's got such a varied experience as you have. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess I want to talk a little bit about yourself. I know you've been involved in media production, advertising, branding, and now mm -hmm. sales is your focus, yep. uh, with a little bit of event management thrown in there as well. Um, so I guess it'd be good to go through your kind of history, what, what you've what you've done, maybe just briefly summarize. So yeah, you know, who you are, and what you do. <laughs> um, I'm born and raised in Winnipeg, um, and my background is in video production, uh, Redwood College in Winnipeg. Um, spent the five or so years um, just working on mobile trucks, uh, sporting events, that kind of thing. Uh, truck rolls in, sporting event happens, uh, broadcasters do their thing, event rolls out, that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, that took me from Winnipeg to small town Manitoba, small town Saskatchewan, and I eventually ended up in uh, Calgary. Uh, mostly predominantly working for hockey broadcasts, so WHL all the way up to AHL. Uh, and then uh, when I got to Calgary, I fell in love with the beer scene. Um, just the, the camaraderie and the friendships that were made, easily made uh, in those early stages. Um, I, just, I just felt like this. I want to be a part of this. So I, I, I hitched my wagon to this movement that had basically started just after I got here, mm -hmm. uh, and it's been um, seven years here in this city, and it's been an awesome little ride. Wow, cool. So you've been here for a lot of the beer industry developing. Then. Well, it's funny, I got here in January of 2013, and the regulations that dropped that was the reason for the explosion happened 11 months later, so in December of that year. So I really feel like I've grown up with this industry, mm -hmm. so it just it feels like a natural fit. Going back to more of your roots, yeah. um, when you were doing more of a videographer kind of production, what what did that involve? Was it rigging, or was it like help, helping with production itself? Yeah, initially, when I first got here, uh, I noticed there was a um, there was a missing link between, and social media was still very new from a brewery and alcohol producer perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a missing link in video production and small business. Mm -hmm. uh, and so myself and a couple of other people uh, through the Alberta Beer Festivals uh, saw this missing link uh, and we decided to provide a service for those people that wanted to uh, showcase what they're all about visually, but also tell stories. And how did you find that in terms of an uptake from people? Was it a hard thing to break into? And what, what kind of things, or were people quite welcoming to that service? Yeah, absolutely. People just, and it's still true to this day, people want to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Stories is the big part, and this is a roundabout way of getting to what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Stories are a big part of selling your brand. Mm -hmm. And that is you know, something that I think everybody wants to do. Mm -hmm. It's just whether or not they have the means to do it. And when you're telling someone's story, what are the things that come to mind when you're trying to help them portray their story? Uh, figuring out their voice, mm -hmm. absolutely, 100%. Um, once you, and usually that has to do with spending some time with these uh, business owners 
and just figuring out how they want to tell their story and basically how they do things. You try and replicate that as best you can and uh, more often than not it works out. So just trying to stay authentic. To Absolutely, the yeah. People are, in today's day and age, people are going to point out or they're going to figure out when something's not authentic pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so when you're figuring how to make that happen and become authentic, do, do you find that to be difficult sometimes with, with someone? Do you have to kind of coax it out of them? Yeah, uh, there's the producers in this province, um, and, and when I say producers, these are the guys that are just fixed on um, making whatever product they're making and that's all they want to yep. do, right? And so that absolutely that takes a little bit of coaxing out of them and there are others that are story first and you basically don't even have to tell them anything they already know how to tell it mm -hmm. um, but yeah it, that, that seems to be the way it works out well that's good i think that comes from the industry itself doesn't it yeah um, i think everyone with the community and the camaraderie i think it probably comes quite natural we all love getting together and telling stories anyway mm -hmm. so it, it's kind of a natural fit that works well i think when you took doing your event management and kind of, uh, mm -hmm. were, you, were you involved in the actual management of so, events? Or? So that started when I first got to Calgary, I was looking for ways to, new ways to meet people. Mm -hmm. And so I saw on Twitter that the Calgary International Beer Fest was looking for volunteers. So uh, I took it upon myself, I feel like I, I can volunteer for that. Yep. And so uh, what happened was Alberta Beer Festival's company saw that uh, I, I'm just a guy with a camera, and I, I'm walking around these festivals, and so they took advantage of that, and we built a, a business off of that. So what started out as a volunteer gig turned into a part-time gig, uh, and then eventually a decision had to be made to make it a full-time gig, and I, I pulled the trigger on it. So how long from that initial inception of you thinking, let's volunteer, to becoming full-time? What was that journey like? I think it's a, it was about eight months. Okay. Wow, that's uh, quite quick. It, it was pretty quick. Um, I had been, uh, as I said before, working as a television broadcast television mm -hmm. producer for Shaw, and we were for a long time. It was um, we were going parallel to each other. The two, the TV production and the, the beer festivals gig was working parallel. Okay. And then eventually they just split off. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so were you still working like self-employed for the TV? company itself or were you kind of we we built a, a, a production company out of what I was doing at these festivals anyway right. so uh, on the and, side and then we built it as a service for the participants of the shows right wow okay yeah. just sort of like a value add-on yeah and then we took it from there so word of mouth helped with that or was it contacts in the industry that contacts in the industry that was the main this thing is very much a word of mouth industry for for services like that mm -hmm. we, we all talk about like hey what's working for you uh, is there a way I can get involved? And uh, usually services like that is just, yeah, like you say, word of mouth. So how big did you get before you moved away from that sort of thing? Um, we, well, probably uh, we, we had about 20 or 30 clients at that point. Okay. Uh, and after I left, the, um, the production company was, is still active. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at that point, 20 or 30 companies. Wow. It just made sense because we were there shooting this stuff anyway. Yeah. 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 And uh, I guess that's quite rewarding being in that environment, telling people stories. That's 20 or 30 different stories I get to tell. That's amazing. As yeah. a videographer, and like, 
a director, that's... Yeah, that's all you want to do. Oh, exactly, yeah. yeah. And especially when someone, everyone's so approachable and willing to let you into their yeah. inner circles and stuff. Yeah. That's really, that's cool. Absolutely. So when you were planning uh, and supporting events with media production, mm-hmm. um, was there a certain tact that you used to take uh, to advertise the, the events? Uh, how, how was that process? So my specialty was on social media marketing, uh, mm-hmm. digital print yep. videos. Um, so what we would do was, we were pretty upfront um, about well what we were going to do and all these clients that were a part of these festivals, they already knew the drill about what's going to happen in those two to three days during the event. Um, it was just a matter of getting them on board and it wasn't that much of a challenge, getting them on board with pre-promoting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we that would be part of the service that we would provide. We'd come down and, and tell your story uh, and then it was more like come down to these events and you can meet the people behind the products that you're already drinking, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would only happen once a year, these events? Uh, we got it up. It's funny, we had a motto within the company that we basically only really work 10 days out of the year, <laughs> but there's pre-planning and yeah, all that sure. kind of stuff. So it worked out when I started, there was basically four days, so two events, mm-hmm. and then we had worked it up to where it was 10 days, so five events. Right, wow. Yeah. Okay. And that was Calgary, Edmonton, Banff, and Jasper. Okay. So were there synergies across these different events or was everyone yeah. quite unique? Or? Absolutely, yeah. But they had their own unique uniquities within the events. Mm-hmm. Some were more seminar focused, some were more trade show focused. Yeah. Um, but it was they all tied together. So how would that differ between a seminar and say a trade show focus for what you would be doing? Um, for what I would be doing, it just depended on whether or not I was walking the floor at the event mm-hmm. or we basically, you know, had a, a camera set up and a microphone set up that was just still and ready to present. Yeah, so you would be doing more like event coverage as well, not yep. just run, the run and gun kind of thing and as well as the pre-prep where we were actually uh, presenting uh, someone's seminar onto a video screen. All right, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's quite interesting for that kind of event. I think that's quite important. You don't don't see that a lot. No, not at all. Um, And it was another way to engage those consumers that were coming to get a bit more out of the event, right? Yeah, sure. And then when you were kind of doing the event lead up, um, what would you do in terms of sales strategies for, say, social media advertising and, yep. and that sort of thing. What would be the key strategies or ways you would do that? Um, so we we actually built up a, a, a rate sheet okay. where um, we would actually go out and you for a set amount, you could actually get a video out of this whole thing mm-hmm. uh, and something that when it came time for the events, these companies would want to push those videos anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it really was all tied together. So were you more on the kind of production side rather than the advertising side at that part? Uh, it was such a small team that it was one and the same. Okay. So when you were running strategies, what were the key social networks that you were using? Was it the Facebooks, Instagram, those kinds of Yep. Instagram was very brand new. Okay. So we were always kind of, there was no set strategy for, there was no set of rules for promoting. Uh, it was just, you know, throwing stuff at a wall and see what works. 
Sure. So you had a lot of variety in the content you produced. Yeah. And yeah. Absolutely. Kind of ran similar budgets at each and yeah. kind of see what happened and learn over time. Kind yeah. Of thing. Budgets were very new within Twitter, and I don't even think at that point um, budgets were a thing in Instagram. So sure. you know you take advantage of that as much as you can. Well, definitely, it was so much cheaper then, and organic reach was so much more that you probably didn't have to think of advertising. No, anywhere, not at all. As much. That's interesting. So, how has that changed now? You're part of like a uncommon cider. How, how would that be different? We're, I would say, we're more so thinking about what goes on social media mm -hmm. more than it's almost a first or even second thought. Sure. Yeah. As opposed to this could be a value add mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that's the first thing you think yeah. when you're developing well, products as well? Or? Yeah, so for the last couple of years, we've done a fruit drive mm -hmm. with Uncommon Cider, um, and that is predominantly driven by social media. Yeah, That's how we get the word out. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where, where drop-off points are gonna be, where people can um, take their unused fruit and drop it off to certain points, and that's how we basically get in front of the customers. So which are the main networks that you focus on? Is it all of them or do you have more like of a focus for one? Right, and it's funny we're talking about this now, it's predominantly Instagram right, okay. right now. Yeah. So it's it's kind of changed since, since I first started using social media regularly. Yeah, I mean, I would say that Instagram is definitely the best bang for your book I yep. think, in terms of advertising. And yeah, absolutely. People consuming your content and actually caring. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a thing. And have you looked at other media outlets like your TikToks and, and those We haven't um, looked at TikTok yet. Okay, yeah. That's more of a younger demographic, so probably yeah. not suitable to brewing. Well, that's it? just it, right? Yeah, that's, maybe it's definitely more of a... That one. is 100% where our mindset is. Like, yeah. We know, we've kind of classed that the older demographics are using the Facebooks and Twitters are kind of like our, our 20 to 30 year olds are using Instagram. And so we've kind of, um, we do target content to those certain platforms based on the demographic, but um, yeah, we, we're stay, we stay away from anything under the age of 18. So when you're steering your content towards certain demographic, what is the process behind that? What, what are you thinking about when you're trying to make content for certain demographics? Well, let's say we have an event here in the tap room um, and we know we're trying to target a late night crowd. Mm -hmm. That'll probably be more geared towards an Instagram mm -hmm. crowd. Whereas if we're just promoting growler fills for the weekend, that'll probably be more of a Facebook thing. Okay. And is it predominantly video you go to or like? Right now it's predominantly photographs. Okay. And just making, well, and just making sure there's anything visual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really important uh, nowadays. And like you say, it really helps with your background for that. Yep. Surely that's an incredible thing. Yeah. Um, so do you still have ties and use uh, your old contacts for the, the craft beer? Yep, absolutely. There's Right now it's more of a um, consultation type mm -hmm. of business. Um, say, hey, I want to do this. What do I have to do to get that set up? Mm -hmm. And so this industry is still very friendly for that in that regard that I can, you know, take a quick phone call and answer those questions. So do you get that? help as well for you? Do, do you find that there's people to help you with that? Yeah, respect? absolutely. It's so I don't do videography predominantly right now. So there are other people that do. Mm -hmm. And if uh, other companies have success with those people, I kind of want to know about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So when you're delving into contacts and sharing and getting that input from people, 
Um, do you find that there's a typical focus for people uh, that they're really struggling or lacking with in terms of the knowledge they have that you kind of have to help more often than not? I wouldn't call it a lack of knowledge. What I would call it is they're experimenting and want to know what I've done that has worked. Mm -hmm. and, and conversely, I want to know if what they're doing, what they're experimenting with is, is working. Mm -hmm. So, um, and maybe they're reaching out to me for reinforcement mm -hmm. and I'm 100% happy to give that. But it's, it's just, it, there's a lot of give and take. So which people do you tend to bounce off the most? Which companies do you, do you work with the most? Um, right now, it's uh, the people in this uh, direct area. Right okay. now, we're in an area that has 13 different alcohol producers. Yes. So there's 10 breweries and um, uh, one winery and two distilleries and then one cidery. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the first stage of, of um, a point of contact. And is collaboration a big thing for you guys? Yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of things would you be collaborating? Uh, marketing initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, every, once a year, there's usually a bike tour that comes through this area. Yeah. And so we, we try and promote that as much as we can. Uh, and that's not only social media, but that's, that's print uh, and word of mouth advertising as well. And you all go together as a collective kind of budget yeah. for that? And yeah. I know I always see the postcards yeah. around that show the route and things. Um, but do you find that very beneficial? I think so. I mean, uh, for lack of a better term, alcohol tourism, I think, should be a thing in Calgary. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way we do that is by all lifting each other up. So maybe just a little bit more about Uncommon itself, yep. uh, like a history of where it's come from and, and kind of where it's going. Mm -hmm. would be so we've been producing ciders for almost five years. Beer has kind of exploded in this city. Um, the regulations surrounding beer and cider uh, are, are a little bit different. Okay. Um, cider is more treated like a wine. So um, um, excise taxes and even just starting up is a little bit more difficult. You need a little bit more thought in planning. So five years ago, it made more sense for us to produce uh, the product in BC and import it. Oh wow, okay. Um, which is what we did. Um, well, meanwhile, always having the intention of opening a space here in Calgary. Mm -hmm. um, it just took four, four or five years to talk, about the, talk with the governing body about what's a cidery and what we're actually producing back here to get the regulations um, dropped in order for us to actually have a physical space and have a tap room and pour out of these taps. So, yeah. so what was that process like? What what kind of had to change exactly for that? It was it was like I said, it was a lot of explaining what we're producing in the back there. It's it's not there's no um, it's not a distillery, so there's no still, so there's no need for fire protection or anything like that. We're just fermenting juice. And it was exactly that, just explaining what we are doing in, in our warehouse. So they had safety concerns rather they, than anything Absolutely, else? Uh, okay. because they had no idea how to make cider. Yeah. Right? And so it was just, it, it was a conversation between the government, governing body and us. So is that why you're one of the first, really, in the city doing 
Well, no one was doing it yeah. at the time. So our founder um, spent five years over in England, okay. uh, where ciders are, are very dry yeah. and uh, a lot more popular than they are here. Mm -hmm. um, we noticed that nobody was doing it over here. And so at that time, we were the first ones that wanted to be like, this is a, this is a thing that we can do. Has that helped you grow, really? Being the first? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But initially, I guess it was probably an uphill struggle, kind of trying to create awareness, not only for the, the brand, but the product yeah. itself. Um, up until we started producing our ciders, uh, the impression of what a cider was was much sweeter than it is. Mm -hmm. And so it was getting people aware of what actual cider can be. So how do you develop a product for the market? Is there kind of a thought behind, we want to make a cider that tastes like this? Or is yep. it, what, what, what are typical ways you go about that? We have an idea of what, at least it's an idea for us, what people will enjoy and what kind of flavors people are looking for and what popular, and we do um, take a lot of initiative from the beer industry and see what's working there and, and try and duplicate it, but just using apple juice as opposed to malt and, and barley. Mm -hmm. um, and meanwhile, always, we like to say that we're producing traditional ciders, but we're trying to advance the way traditional ciders are made. So it, there is a little bit of paving the way at the same time. So how would that happen? I mean, I'm completely, I know a little bit about cider production, but yeah. how, how would that, how would you tailor the taste so much? Well, it, it's, it is a little bit of guesswork. You, you, you develop a recipe what you think might, people might like, but at the same time, you could develop something completely different and that takes off. And all of a sudden that's your, what you're known for. And that's a little bit of like what's happening with us right now. So which ones did you kind of think, mm, this might work and then they really took off? Our dry cider was always supposed to be our number one seller. Right. But right now it's our two, it's going neck and neck between our hop cider and our Hascap cider. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's surprising. Yeah. And a Hascap is a, somewhere in the blueberry Saskatoon berry range. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it is a bit like very sweet. Yeah. So, yeah. so do you think people almost prefer the sweeter ones? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. And, and that could just be with the history of um, what people think of ciders. Yeah, it's interesting coming from England where cider is prevalent and yep. more on the dry side, I would say, yep. in England people prefer. But I, it's, it's quite strange to think that cider really isn't. Yeah. It hasn't happened really yet. Yeah. You know, you guys are kind of leading the way. But. Yeah, in this province anyway, and yeah. I mean the province next door, it's all like that's where Canada's best yeah. fruit is grown. And so cider is a bit more top of mind, but out here it's um, just changing people's minds of what, what cider can be. So were you involved in the, the logo designing, the kind of branding aspects? To no, so I've, uh, my relationship to Uncommon is a little bit different. So I've been along for this journey for five years, but I've only really started working for the company in the last couple of months. Sure. Um, the founder and my wife went to high school together. Okay. Um, so when I say that I've been working for a couple of months, it's really been like four or five years because we've just been following along. We went out to British Columbia to help bottle the first batch. Um, and that's just because of connections, right? Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, what were you doing as, you know, in that period as well? What, 
what, how were you supporting your um, That was a combination of video work and um, also being doing sales in the beer industry. I was working for um, Apex Predator Brewing for four years at the same time. So again, just kind of going parallel on our weekends, we'd go out and visit the, the founder out in BC and mm -hmm. see what he was producing. And oh, by the way, I need to start bottling. So let's get on the bottling line, that kind of thing. Wow, cool. So you now much manufacture everything here? Now everything's manufactured here and uh, we still buy fruit and juice from British Columbia. Okay. Um, Safe for that one product I was talking about earlier with the fruit drive. Yeah. Um, that one is 100% Calgary made, born and raised. Um, but otherwise, the majority of our juices and fruit come from BC, but everything else is done here in-house. That's quite... Incredible, yeah. really. Oh, yeah. you, you can't really deny that resource you've got in B BC with, with the fruit. And yeah. So what, where specifically does it generally come from? Um, Summerland area and Peachland okay. area. So the uh, interior-ish area. Yeah. yeah, not too far away then. No. That's cool. And then you, you get the raw produce here and pro Yeah, so everything. right now we've got uh, 50,000 liters of uh, fermenting juice mm -hmm. and then we've got 50,000 liters in another warehouse of frozen juice. Mm -hmm. So um, the process to make cider is a lot longer than it is to make beer. It's three months as opposed to three weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we, we have that amount of juice just so we can keep rotating okay. and keep creating and keep putting stuff in kegs and bottles. So when you're de developing the brand further, what's kind of next for Uncommon? Where do you see the growth happening? What's the focus for the business? So in immediately, um, we're only available in bottles. Okay. Um, so immediately, our next move is going to be cans. Mm -hmm. So um, to, it's more what our customers are asking for. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're trying to be on top of where the trend is in that regard. So what, what is driving that? What, why cans and not bottles? Um, so the bottles are 500 mils. Okay. And the cans that we want to produce are 355. Okay, so so it, it's, it's a lower price point, yep. um, uh, lower amount of volume that's consumed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, stuff like that. And then what, are you kind of in drafting systems in, yep. in bars? Yeah, we're, so? we're also kegging off products. So a lot like you would see a keg of beer, it's the same, looks the same. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a, a different product. And do you have like people from like your sales side where they purchase the beer, like better venues, that sort yeah. of thing? Do they ever influence what kind of cider you might produce? Or we're always asking, yeah, like, hey, is this working? Hey, is it not working? Is it selling? Is it not selling? Mm -hmm. What do you want to see? Uh, hey, we're about to do, I don't know, throw X fruit in a cider, mm -hmm. is that something you want to see? Mm -hmm. And then we take that feedback and, and run with it. So what are examples of that? What what are people suggesting? I would say the Hascap okay. cider was a, a perfect example of that. Okay. Um, people wanted uh, some sort of a berry mm -hmm. in a cider. Um, and being uncommon, we had to be a different, it had to be a different fruit that no one's really yeah, heard of. Yeah. Um, so, um, Hascap is a berry that only grows in northern hemispheres, so we actually had to go to northern Alberta, uh, Grand Prairie, mm -hmm. to get Hascaps. Wow. Yeah. That's nice for it to be local fruit. Yeah. Well, we try and source out our, our, our product as close as possible, mm -hmm. um, but when we can't, you know, we can't. So we, we make do as best we can, but it's all 
everything after purchasing it is all done here. Getting back to more of your general experience, I'd love to know a little bit more about what myths you've kind of come across in, in the industry and how you think you're perceived as kind of a videographer and a salesperson. Uh, what are those things um, that you find laughable and ridiculous? What I, uh, I, I categorize myself as a jack, jack of all trades, master yeah. of none. Uh, <laughs> it was that way in uh, video production as well, so I've kind of taken that as my mantra. Um, I wasn't particularly good at any one thing, but I could write, I could edit, mm -hmm. I could shoot, um, I could produce, mm -hmm. right? And so, especially working for smaller sales companies, mm -hmm. you take that skill set and you run with it. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems to be working out. I think that's more important. I think yeah. people try and become an expert in a field, and I'm a little bit the same. You, you kind of just taste yeah. a little bit of thing, and I think when you can take everything in house, yeah, it's kind of a broad offering. Yeah, um, I developed a skill set in the Adobe InDesign suite and mm -hmm. I still use that to this day if we need a short little poster done up for an event. Mm -hmm. I'll do it. Yeah, I saw on your machine you just like doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's so useful. That just shows how you progressed and yeah. you never take yourself too seriously in a certain field. That's, that's interesting to do that. Um, and when you were developing yourself as a jack of all trades, what kind of key people or resources did you look at to, to help you along that journey? What are the, some of the things that stick uh, in your mind? In the sales side of things, I looked at the people in my position mm -hmm. who I thought were good in their role and I just tried to take, like tried to absorb as much information from them as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and they were absolutely willing to give me that information. It was just, these people are doing what I think is a good job at. At, at being a sales representative and that's how I want to do things. So you try and pick and choose those best qualities and you kind of adapt them into day to day. When you kind of mirroring them or just kind of taking what they were doing on board kind of subconsciously? And probably shouldn't say that I was mirroring them, but I probably was. It's hard not to, I think, when you find someone yeah. that's that influential on, on you, I think. It's, yeah. It's, how do you not do it's, that? It's, uh, I've always said I've had a couple of mentors in this industry mm -hmm. specifically, and it was the same was for videography. I had my mentors in that mm -hmm. industry as well, and you try and learn from them as best you can, and hopefully you retain some information. And I always wonder if going to, say, university to study these sorts yeah. of things, whether that has helped you in the long run, or you've learned more just through... The biggest thing I learned from where I went to, to college was networking. Okay. And, you know, just like keep every business card that you've ever had because you never know, you might need that person, person's help. And, and so, yeah, networking has been the biggest thing that I've ever learned in, from school. So in terms of networking, I mean, that's something that I'm always trying to get better at. But yeah. how have, what kind of things were you taught in terms of networking? What, what things have stuck with you? Just, you know, keep in touch mm -hmm. or, and, um, you know, in this industry, it's very easy to go to a networking event and just, you know, chat with whoever's in the room, but you never know what kind of things you'll have in common or, uh, um, for instance, when I was a videographer in Calgary, um, uh, I met an audio engineer. Okay. Uh, and so as a videographer, we were talking about, hey, you're an audio engineer, you're a videographer, we can help out each other. Mm -hmm. Turns out that audio engineer now owns uh, a brewery in this area. Okay. <laughs> so you never know, right? Yeah. So where where, where is that? Where? Um, that's Cabin. 
Oh, right, They're okay. just down the road. So literally over there. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. It just shows that you just need to keep everyone in the back yeah. of your mind constantly. Yeah. Um, wow, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's as much as you think it's a small world, and this industry is pretty small, it gets even smaller when you start talking to people. Yeah. My, uh, my brother-in-law also owns uh, a brewery in this city. So it's, when you think it's small, it's even smaller than you think. Yeah, the more I talk to people on the show, the more that is becoming apparent. Uh, everyone yeah. seems to know everybody, and that's a good thing, though. Yeah, um, it just comes down to networking, too. Yeah, and everyone's so positive and want to kind of achieve a similar goal, even though there's a bit of competition yeah. in there. It's it's kind yeah. of nice and refreshing to see. Especially on this side of um, the industry, we're all trying to produce some like the best we can, best products we can possibly produce. Yeah, and so if we can uh, egg each other on in that regard, I think it's something that is nothing but good things. Thanks for coming on the show, Brett. Yeah. It's been fantastic to get your insight and actually having that angle of being a videographer, media creator, dentist salesperson, and kind of showing through that journey is, is quite fascinating, really. Yeah, I hope, I hope I've helped out. I, I've learned a lot anyway. <laughs> so everyone, like, subscribe, and uh, share if you can. And it'd be great if you could drop a comment below of any uh, questions you have, and I will ask Brett and forward them on. So that's great. Thanks, guys. Tune in next time.